0: You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army.
1: Today we are in the aftermath, Uh, less than 12 hours ago, polls closed across the country. And the much talked about midterm elections are now history, at least the vast majority of them are history. and. Today, we are fortunate to have with us one of Donald Trump's pollsters in 2016 and one of the most astute observers of the political scene in the United States of America, our friend John McLaughlin. So welcome, John. Was and, a pleasure to be with you. And we are uh, going to explore uh, the question of what happened last night. Were there any great surprises last night? Uh, Going into the vote yesterday, uh, we kept hearing about um, a blue wave, and then we heard about a red counter wave. Were there any waves, Sean? And what do you read, if anything, about the national mood, considering what the election results are? Uh, well, the, the results were mixed, and uh, uh,
0: there was no red wave, certainly in the Senate, they gained seats, but that was mainly because out of the 35 seats that were up, 26 were Democratic seats, and 10 of them were in states that Donald Trump won. So uh, uh, the Republican games, uh are in states where Donald Trump won by almost 20 points, so that in Indiana, he won by 19 points, there were 600,000 more votes for, for uh uh our Trump supporters to get out get out there. Same thing in Missouri. In Missouri there were a lot of Trump voters to get out there. So they were able to net those sentences. The key thing though is is one that um that I think a lot of people uh, were looking at in terms of uh Florida. Florida being the national bellwether that it is, for Rick Scott to have defeated uh apparently defeated uh uh Bill Nelson uh which Even as we speak, he may be conceding. But for Rick Scott to win that seat by a narrow margin uh, in a a huge turnout, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is the turnout was a historic midterm uh, election turnout that uh, um, exceeded the last two midterms and and probably set a record just like the uh, uh, election of President Trump as far as turnout goes in 2016. So what what really happened was it looked like the Democrats were going to have their blue wave. And then uh, the, the Democrats gambled on, on the Kavanaugh uh, hearings. With uh, They did a late political hit before the confirmation hearings, which I thought was never about just the Supreme Court. I thought it was a play about the uh, – uh, it was a play about uh, trying to win the Senate, knowing how tough the Senate was for them. And they were gambling that if they could make uh, – You know, enough of a political shot at Kavanaugh that they would, uh, that the Republicans would either not give him the votes to pass or that President Trump would withdraw that nomination. Now, if that had happened, it would have discouraged millions of Trump voters and they would have walked away from the election. But instead, the president stood by him and the Republicans in the Senate got him the votes. And that re engaged that whole process of what people thought was unfair, they thought it was a smear against Judge Kavanaugh re engaged Trump voters, and we saw a surge uh, of Trump voters coming back into these Senate races, and they were also coming into a lot of the House races. And after that, the narrative changed with a couple, uh, you know, certainly uh, tragic events. There was a there was Hurricane Michael that hit Florida. There was a the uh, shooting in Pittsburgh um, of the synagogue, which was which was reprehensible. But there was there was some ups and downs to this election where uh, in a matter of weeks, people were staying engaged. And the Republicans made their Senate gains in states primarily where Donald Trump did well. And, uh, even as we speak, uh, the, the Senate race in Montana and the Senate race in, uh, uh, Arizona, they continue to count the votes, which could be a couple more pickups for the, uh, well, they would keep Arizona, but then they would have a pickup in Montana. So, um, so the the Senate side goes well. The House side, on the other hand, it appears the Republicans have lost the House, and the Democrats at, at count now have picked up uh, 20, 25 seats where they need to pick up 23. They're still counting a lot of races. There'll still be some close races. There'll still be races in California where the mail-in ballots come in a couple days after the election. Uh, but the, it's not a blue wave, and it may be a narrow uh, majority for, uh, uh, for Nancy Pelosi. And the Republicans probably, um, there's a hubris of the, uh, of the majority in Washington when they get inside the beltway. They think that they, that they, you know, their policy and their staff people will tell them to do things that are politically unpopular that could hurt people. And there were two things that the Republicans did that probably hurt them on their own. Um, but let me preface that, first of all, by by saying one thing. We had a national poll that we, uh, a week ago, uh, Thursday, we released it, where Donald Trump had a 48% favorable rate, uh, job approval rating and had a 50% disapproval rating. And so he was polarizing where for every one person that liked him, there'd be one person that disliked him. And there were times where in the past couple of weeks where he got over 50%, like taking care of the victims of Hurricane Michael and doing some other things. Uh that that certainly rallying his supporters into the election he was he was gaining support. However, in the same survey we asked him do you approve or disapprove of the Republican majority in Congress. Only forty one percent approved, fifty one disapproved. And roughly a fifth to a quarter of the Trump voters and Republicans disapproved of their own party's majority. And the reason is, is that the Republicans in Congress really didn't do the things that they promised to do. And there may be difference that sometimes the House passed things, but the Senate didn't. But to people outside the Beltway, we look at it and we say, you know, they, they, they were supposed to fix immigration. They didn't, and they had both, both the House and Senate majority. They were supposed to fix health care, and they didn't, and they had both the House and Senate majority. Uh, they were supposed to do infrastructure, help create jobs, and they didn't. Um, they were supposed to do a conservative approach to pay parental leave, which would have relied on people's savings and, and maybe uh, helped with their Social Security funds. They didn't do that. So there's a lot of opportunity that the Republicans in Congress had to define their own success that they didn't do. So in the end, they were they were – they were uh, relying on President Trump to bring them over the finish line, and he did in a lot of races. There's a lot of close races that he was able to help Republicans uh, in the House gain reelection in terms of political rallies, raising money, et cetera. The other thing the, on the policy side was they did things that actually, for reasons in Washington, make sense to the House staffers, et cetera, but doesn't make sense to the average person outside the Beltway. Uh, two things come to mind. One is that they took away the state and local income and property tax deductions, which badly affects suburban uh, voters, uh, particularly in ones where there's high states, high high tax states. Now, it may be bad policy to have that, but not to have a gradual phase out or to have a higher cap or something that, uh, you know, was was more helpful to The people in those areas, uh, particularly when they're paying onerous taxes, uh, they put at risk probably 20 to 30 members that most of them lost yesterday, where the losses that they have in New York, the losses that they have in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, even Peter Roskam in the suburbs of Illinois, uh, Chicago, Illinois, and some of these California races that are now too close to call, uh, they basically put those members of Congress at risk by taking away a deduction that most of them use. And that two to one in our polling, two to one voters opposed them taking that away. The second policy mistake that they had was they voted on a healthcare plan that never passed because the Senate killed it. But they put at risk people with pre existing conditions. And mo- and virtually all the Democrat campaigns attacked the Republicans on pre existing conditions, that they were going to take it away. And uh and, you know, and that uh uh you know that was their key issue on the health care for offense for the Democrats and and uh uh so so what they did was they voted they voted to uh, uh grant a waiver to states that they didn't have to cover existing conditions, and uh some places it, it would apply some places it wouldn't, but it gave the Democrats enough of a truth that they could play that offense, and we had seen that. As long as the Republicans didn't do, uh, you know, as long as they didn't do three three things to hurt their face, whereas they didn't they didn't do anything to raise premiums because people want premiums to go down. They didn't do anything to to, to uh, weaken Medicare because a lot of seniors that vote Republican are on Medicare. And what they did do though was the third one: Republicans care about pre existing conditions because a lot of them have health care and have dealt with uh, insurance companies that would deny them on pre-existing conditions. So it weakened their argument where they could have played offense against Democrats who were advocating single-payer Medicare for all, And uh, uh, which goes to my final point. The Republicans needed to play much more offense to keep the House where they needed to run a campaign to stop Nancy Pelosi. Because now as Americans waken, they're going to see Nancy Pelosi as Speaker again, and she was very unpopular. We had a September survey where she has 30% favorable, 55 unfavorable. unfavorable. Uh, people oppose her on her open borders policy. They oppose her on her plans to repeal the Trump tax cuts because it would raise people's taxes, cut the child tax credit in half, other things like that, and uh, be massive tax tax. And the uh, uh, third thing was uh, government-controlled health care. Most Americans are opposed to that, and even the media is talking about their exit polls saying, that the the majority of Americans still wanna repeal and replace Obamacare. So basically the results are mixed where we had really good Senate gains that the President was able to make and lead the charge on. Uh, We mitigated what could have been a blue wave in the House, but in retrospect, we probably could have kept the House. So, um, So there'll be spin on both sides today. But the reality is this, is that the Republicans could have done better, and it would have been even more historic if they had done that. Uh, And uh, the Democrats now have a powerful uh, platform in control of the House where they can launch investigations, uh, you know, force legislation coming out of the House to, uh, you know, to put the Republicans in a negative position for the next election. Uh, But... uh, um, but the 2020 presidential race is now on. And, uh, uh, you know, as we look ahead, uh, there probably probably won't be much time before the establishment decides that they, they want to really, you know, press the case against President Trump uh, to make further gains. So I've covered a lot of territory there.
1: Yes, you did. Thank you. Uh, let me just follow up on one of the threads that you have put into play here. What impact or what can we learn about how the 2020 race is going to play out given the results of yesterday and last night what i mean by that is are there issues that you think are going to come to the fore between now and 2020 that will define the race um do you think, and this is a multi-layered uh, question, do you think that the Republicans would benefit by having a leader of the Republicans in the House who works hand in hand with President Trump or one who is arm's length from President Trump as we've had in the last two years? Well, the first one, as far as the issues go, I don't think we resolved
0: issues that, that the top issues that the poll saying and the exit poll saying coming out of yesterday's election, where they say the top three issues were immigration, the economy, and uh, health care. And uh, it's, it's, we have yet to see if the Democrats want to deal on any of those issues because the economy is doing well, but the Democrats didn't give us a single vote to pass the tax cuts. Um, and now you're gonna have a situation where they'll be stalemate economically because the Republican efforts to try to make those tax cuts permanent uh have been you know will be delayed. However, there is one thing though some people are talking about uh using the lame duck Congress to try to pass that legislation, whether the Republicans are um you know astute uh, enough to be able to make that happen, I don't know.
1: Would uh, that be a good idea
0: for the report? Well, I I think ta- tax cuts being permanent being permanent is a good idea. The tax cuts are good. My my only thought was there was talk about doing uh making those tax cuts permanent before the election and uh uh I think there was a vote in the House on it that wasn't getting much attention at the time. Uh but then Senate member was going to take it up. And uh uh that, you know, it it would be a good idea, but I would also I would use it as an opportunity to do something to make the phase out of the state and local property taxes and income taxes, that deduction, a little more uh you know, a little more palatable and so that the Republicans could say, Okay, we restored a lot of this, now we're taking this issue off the table from the Democrats and but we're making the tax cuts that are creating jobs permanent. And uh and if they do that, that would be a very good thing. Uh, because that would help keep the economy growing and then when the de- when the democrats come back in they would have to argue straight out for tax repeal which is a tax increase so if they could get that done that would be probably a good thing but i wouldn't do it just make them permanent without some consideration of what what just happened in uh uh in these suburban districts that really reduced the the house majority coalition uh to minority status the, the other two issues uh, the other two major issues on health care and on immigration, again, the Democrats gave us no, no votes. And the president on immigration had offered a compromise where he would give, uh, some sort of, uh, amnesty consideration to DACA recipients in exchange for funding of the border wall, uh, for ending chain migration and for, uh, ending the diversity lottery, which is the terrorists into the United States. And, uh, um, the Democrats didn't give us any votes on that and instead, you know, the, the the uh infamous uh caravan uh that was coming towards the border that people expected before election day that conveniently slowed down uh is is still on its way and uh you know we're still gonna have these problems where people are jumping the line uh on immigration and at the same time we're feeling pretty insecure where uh uh The Republicans, their base is motivated by that immigration issue precisely because it's a breakdown of the rule of law and it's also uh, a security threat to the United States because we've got problems with uh, gangs, we've got problems with uh, drug dealers, we've got problems with terrorism. And uh, we don't know who's coming into the country under those kind of circumstances. And the other aspect that the Republicans really didn't, play up properly is we are a country of immigrants where we take in a million immigrants each year and those immigrants come here legally they play by the rules and it takes them time and money to get into the country they're the ones who get most upset when people who come here seeking you know not necessarily asylum but, but a job and without any legal, legal status they're just coming into the country and finding work and uh, it's coming at the expense of those people who are trying to do it legally. So, they, you know, the the phrase that we get in focus groups is they jump the line. And the third issue, we've had uh, a majority of the voters uh, almost always want to, in our national surveys, want to repeal and replace Obamacare still. And the Democrats and the Republicans now have two diametrically opposed positions. The Democrats, the majority of them, won on uh, single payer Medicare for all legislation, which is total government control. And the Republicans are still trying to push back on the government control of Obamacare to give, uh, uh, patients and consumers more control in their own health care. So those issues are still out there. Do you have a question your, about, mm-hmm. yeah, go kind of.
1: yeah.
0: I was going to say, do you have a question about do we need a leader or leadership that works with the president or one that, uh, one that disagrees with him? uh on certain important policy issues. We need somebody that will work with the president that has his confidence because that's what we had where uh leader McConnell and leader and uh Speaker Ryan had had told the president uh before he, he was sworn in that they wanted to do health care first so they could have savings to make the uh tax cuts affordable. Well they did you know, I in the meantime, I've spoken to the president and said, You need to do the tax cuts first to have a growing economy to fund uh to fund what you want to do on healthcare. Plus also healthcare is more complex and it's kinda like Stalingrad. Uh Chuck Schumer to this day thought they lost their majority under Obama because they did health care first and they didn't pay enough attention to the economy. And the Republicans you know, took a took a bad public public opinion hit. Uh, when they struggled for months and didn't get a health care plan passed uh, after running against repealing and replacing Obamacare. Finally, they got around to passing the tax cuts, and you know they did it, and, they, and the economy's growing, but there was probably a bit of a, an expense that they, they had that cost them a lot of momentum that they would have had. So they're better off with leadership that wants to do that. And the second thing with leadership, When they failed on immigration, the Republican leadership kept on throwing amnesty provisions into the legislation that the Republicans wanted to get passed. So they could never round up the votes with the backbenchers in the caucus to get it passed because they weren't going to vote for amnesty. So uh, uh, without some sort of meaningful compromise from the Democrats, certainly. So uh, uh, I think we're far better off with leadership that would work with the president, have a very proactive, popular agenda and try to get that passed to force the Democrats into, into voting for the things that we want that the majority of Americans want.
1: Towards the end of the campaign in the last couple of weeks, the president uh, tried to nationalize the election by talking about issues like birthright citizenship, which he wants to get rid of, and stopping the caravan. Do you think that that was helpful to Republican candidates in, in terms of waking up uh, Trump supporters to go out there and vote for Republican congressmen who they don't necessarily think are doing a good job? Do you think that was a positive campaign tool uh, for the Republicans?
0: I think so, because it, it certainly helped them in areas where they already have a majority. Uh, meaning that they already have Trump voters that that were decisive. So it definitely the results that they had with the upset, it was an unexpected upset. We knew it was close, but it was an unexpected upset in Indiana. Uh, It helped them in Missouri. I mean, in places where President Trump is popular, he was able to use his popularity to bring uh, Republican Senate candidates across the finish line. Uh, and he did so too in, in House districts that were, that were, you know, one of the first House districts everyone was looking at because they closed early was Kentucky 6th. And the President went out to Kentucky and he rallied for, uh, Congressman Barr and Congressman Barr got reelected. So, th- there are definitely places where, uh, the President lifted up the Republicans and, and, and was able to get them reelected because they nationalized the race. The problem was with the over forty retirements that the Republicans had in the house on the House side, and the fact that of the competitive districts out of the seventy eight competitive districts sixty seven were Republicans, if they didn't nationalize the race a lot of a lot more of them would have lost if they were out there on their own if the if the president had not risked his his political capital to get them reelected uh you probably would have seen the blue wave because certainly the blue wave when it looked like it was threatened by by Trump's uh you know uh counterattack against their nationalizing the campaign against him uh it was followed by a green wave and that was that was what really secured uh the the democratic success in the house and that green wave I would describe as a, a money wave that billionaires like Tom Steyer and George Soros and uh, certainly Michael Bloomberg, who spent $110 million to help elect Democrats. And the finally was funded with, with also you know, Nancy Pelosi providing the bulk of the funding through the Democrat committees and her super PAC. And in a lot of these competitive races and virtually all the, the top toss-up races that I know, the Democrats outspent the Republicans like two to one down the stretch, maybe three to one in some cases. And we still lost very close races, like Carlos Cabello apparently lost in South Florida. He was being outspent at the end. Uh, but he only lost by a point. And, uh, uh, so the, uh, uh, so while the, while the president has helped the RNC raise record sums, the Republican National Committee, uh, that didn't trickle down into the, the congressional campaigns that really needed the help. It may have gone more to their grassroots operation, but, uh, uh, but whether it's you know the campaign that has control the campaigns whether they or their allies have control of uh, uh the digital and the uh you know paid media to get out their messages that's really important when when you're being tacked on taking away pre existing conditions or or taking away somebody's uh uh tax deductions um you need the you need the resources to to try to fight back and set the record straight.
1: It, with the Democrats, uh, it looks like Democrat control over the House. What impact, if any, do you think that would have on the president's national security and foreign policy agenda?
0: I think it's it's going to have a real
1: it's it's going
0: to have a real. Um, Negative impact in that they now control the hearings they now control the staff, they now control the flow of information um you know uh, where where they they basically will decide the hearings whos you know who they want to hear what what they want what they want on the record et cetera and also the the Democrats for the last two years, what was amazing about this election was for two years we were hearing about collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign. And it was a total myth. And if anything, there may have been collusion between the the Clinton campaign and the Democrat Party and uh, the Obama administration uh, to undermine the Trump campaign with surveillance. Uh, and that that on the House side will never will never really probably get a resolution to because now the Democrats control that and they can cover it up as they've been trying to cover it up for the past t- few years. Um, but uh, but the bad part is it's just an example of the kind of uh the kind of initiative that the Democrats will take where when they start changing these uh these committee chairs and that leadership and it's really radical um President Trump's efforts to you know help Israel and be secure in the middle east uh president trump's efforts to uh uh try to get North Korea to put aside their nuclear weapons program uh to try to uh uh you know stop iran from uh uh from eventually having a nuclear weapon and ag- agreeing to a more long term deal where they would not and they'd put aside their nuclear uh program uh those initiatives could be severely undermined by these house committees and their leadership, and the same thing now with the border i mean you know the Democrats aren't going to fund a border wall it doesn't look like it doesn't look like they're willing to compromise. And if anything, there will probably you know, there'll be a lot of hearings on homeland security and and you know, oversight of the border and other things where uh efforts to secure our borders are gonna be at risk. So uh um so it it's 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 a negative impact. And also and, and also on the economic side, everybody saw over the past month that the uh uh that the uh the markets had stalled a little bit, the, the financial markets. And I thought that was at the time where it was it was apparent that the Democrats were going to have a shot at taking the House and, and a good shot at taking the House. And, you know, uh, as a pollster who does work for business people as well as, if our corporate as well as for political, you know, it would be interesting. Every now and then we get calls from hedge fund people and other people, and they, their question was, how do you see the Democrats doing for Congress? And you could tell as they, as you said, the Democrats might win the House that they were not happy. And so I think I think, you know, they were put they were placing bets, you know, on the outcome of the election where they were investing in things that they could see economic good luck, they could see security issues, uh, with the United States because the Democrats would take the House.
1: Did you um as you looked at the exit polling, did you See any surprises? Was there any particular group that uh, acted in an extraordinary fashion? Uh, is there were there any election surprises in terms of the voters?
0: I think one of the things the Democrats kept looking at was uh, uh, if, you, if you ever you know were involved in a joint project with a Democrat, they were on public policy, they were always looking at college-educated suburban women, and they were looking at independent women. And I think they were counting on their way to be uh, successful on winning overwhelmingly among that group. And uh, as the election neared uh, and news of immigration came up, news of, eco- of change in economic policy came up, a lot of those independent women went back to the Republicans. And they've mitigated what could have been that wave. And at the same time, so you saw security moms coming back, and you saw, you know, anti-tax uh, voters, independent women coming back. And uh, that, that I think, was a surprise. And then you saw the election of uh, Republican women, where, uh, you know, I mean, Martha McSally right now is a little ahead in the counts in Arizona. Marsha Blackburn was supposed to lose to Phil Bredesen in Tennessee. She ended up beating him decisively. So uh a lot of Republican women were able to to, to you know win this election because we shouldn't feed those kinds of policies or or those voters to the Democrats that is that they often play this identity politics. I thought one of the one of the major um one of the major disappointments of this campaign uh was there was this uh, there's a, there was a good Republican candidate running in Michigan, uh, John James. He was a is a, a veteran. Uh, he's somebody who was a West Point graduate, uh, is someone who had good conservative policies. So while the media would tout African American candidates like uh, Gillum in Florida or Abrams in Georgia, they never mentioned a word about James in Michigan because he was a conservative, and he lost by a few points. But if he'd gotten financial support. Or if he got more media attention, I think he could have beaten Debbie Seven out in uh in Michigan. So uh so so the Republicans should not cede any of the uh, uh any of these vote any of these votes based on political identity to the Democrats. And they ought to be more aggressive about it because uh, their policies help a lot more people than the media will give them credit
1: for. You mentioned this um this shift uh, back to the Republicans among independent women, and you also called them uh, security women or security moms. What do you mean by that? What issues um, uh, move these voters to support uh, Republican candidates?
0: You've seen these kinds of votes votes before, over the years, and you work for Secure America now. Whether it was the Iran nuclear deal, uh, certainly that played a role in probably the last two election cycles that that that, that they had they had thought um, that the, that the Obama administration got, had gone in for a bad deal uh, because they, they there there is the threat of nuclear war, and they they don't like to see they they think it's more likely to come from some sort of terrorist country like Iran or North Korea. Than uh, than Russia or China, so they you know so they're concerned about that. Uh, they also don't like the idea of terrorism. They don't, they don't like the idea of uh, MS-13 gangs being in their children's schools. So they uh, uh, these security moms, uh, when they when they look at it as a practical level, and when they hear things like the Democrats, uh, when you talk about their House control House, they may kill funding for uh, missile defense systems. And the idea of, of a, you know, uh, North Korea, if they start launching missiles again towards the United States, you know, we don't have the systems that can shoot them out. So, uh, people may think, or they may envision it like a movie, but when you, when you tell these security moms that, you know, their, their home in California is, it, it, it is within range of, uh, uh, Kim Jong Il from, uh, North Korea, they don't think that's a great idea. So, uh, then they start voting Republican. So, uh, they're, they're, it's real there, and it's, and it's, uh, it's something that Secure America now has, uh, has had success, um, in the past, bringing to, bringing to the forefront forefront of the policy discussion, and, uh, it's actually affected votes before. We've seen it in the surveys.
1: Well, Thank you, uh, John McLaughlin for after spending a long night looking at election <laughs> returns for spending some time with us and educating us on what happened and what's likely to happen. And, uh, we wish you all the best in your political endeavors and helping to save the future of this country. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to work with you. And uh, we've we've got our work to do again, once again. So, uh, again, as you've seen in your past surveys, uh, security and immigration are going to be among the top issues in the elections, and they should be again. So uh, so, uh, uh, the work that you do will be very important for 2020 and beyond. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for listening to code red with secure america now we are the largest national security digital platform in the nation dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the american debate for more information visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org